0: Wow, these are amazing. So what Taris has handed me here is a proper folder. It's like a burgundy colour with war emergency guidebook on the top. Can you tell me where how you got your hands on this one? Welcome to Cold War Conversations. If attack is imminent, you will hear the attack sound like this. If the fallout warning sounds are heard, they will be like these.
1: Buy food well wrapped
0: or in tins. By the way, don't forget your tin opener and bottle opener. For almost five decades, the United Kingdom made plans for a nuclear attack that never came. To help their citizens, civil servants and armed forces prepared those in power a variety of booklets, posters and how-to guides. Tarris Young is a researcher and writer who has produced a book, Nuclear War in the UK, detailing much of this Cold War ephemera such as the infamous Protect and Survive Guide, as well as fascinating lesser-known materials prepared for the United Kingdom Warning and Monitoring Organisation and the Royal Observer Corps. If you are enjoying the podcast, please leave written reviews in Apple Podcasts or share us on social media. By telling your friends, you can really help the podcast grow. Now it costs money and time to produce this podcast, so I'm asking listeners to contribute three US dollars a month to help keep us on the air. Larger amounts are welcome too. Plus, you can get a sought-after Cold War Conversations coaster as a monthly financial supporter of the podcast. Just go to ColdWarConversations.com/slash donate. In today's episode, we delve into Taras's collection in an eye-opening look at the way Britain's authorities reacted to the Soviet nuclear threat. We welcome Taras to our Cold War conversation. Make sure you visit the show notes detailed at the end of this episode for information on how to win a free copy of Taras's book. I've been trapped in Edinburgh by Storm Kiara, I think it is. Sorry. Pronounced it right. <laughs> um, so the wind is howling outside Taras' flat, but it's a, uh, a suitably sombre day. So Taris, how did you first get interested in this sort of subject?
1: The story that I tell is that um, I was up, up in the attic in my grandparents' house um, And I came across this booklet that was titled uh, uh, Nuclear Weapons or something like that. And it was one of the old 60s Civil Defence Corps um, guides. Um, And that piqued my interest. Um, I would have been sort of 11 or 12 years old. Um, After that, uh, I was getting a bit older, became aware of Protect and Survive. Uh, that was around the time that eBay was becoming a thing, and I thought, well, let's see if I can find a copy on eBay. And lo and behold, eventually there was one. Um, I got my hands on that, and that kind of kicked it all off because then I thought, uh, well, what else is out there like this? And I'd always been interested in history. Um, I ended up doing history degree at university, um, and yeah, just blossomed from there. Really, um, the other side of it is that my dad was always really interested in. Uh, aircraft and and that kind of thing so Mm -hmm. i got taken along to uh air shows and things like that um my mum, i mean my my name comes from the ukraine and my mum was born in the soviet union um so i'd been over there a few times as well so um i I don't know how much that influenced it but it was always there in the background so Yeah. yeah i think all kind of uh combination of all those things coming together was uh where where my interest stemmed from originally
0: yeah. Well uh, and and this book is a is a is a stunning book. And I must admit and you can hear the wind blowing <laughs> there. Um I must admit that I am familiar with some of these documents because in the um the eighties I did purchase a couple of copies of Protect and Survive, mm-hmm. which I still have. And I recognise a few of few of the other ones and obviously a lot of the um the UK cities were declaring themselves nuclear free zones as well. Mm. And so you have a range of documents here. Some are the official documents, some are from anti nuclear organisations. But I think, you know, Protect and Survive certainly in the UK is one of the most iconic That's right, yeah. ones. And I the um, advert not adverts, but the infomercial or infomercials that they would have had on mm. with um is it Patrick? Alan. Patrick Allen, yes who voices it are are suitably chilling, but mm. you know that the the document itself was quite heavily ridiculed at the time
1: it was yes, um and I think that was a mistake um by the government so the the Thatcher administration was quite new into government at that point um, nineteen start of nineteen eighty mm. um and Protect and Survive had come up in, um, I think first it came up in January 1980 in a Times newspaper article. So there was a series of articles in the Times about uh, civil defence preparations, um, and it was around this time that you had Thatcher had just come in, Reagan was about to come in in America, and there was this building tension after the period of detente in the 1970s, Um and so this, this Times newspaper article had a picture of Protect and Survive. I don't think it describes it in any way, um, but it obviously triggered something, um, which the public got interested in it. Then there was shortly after that, I think in March, uh, 1980, there was the Panorama episode with Jeremy Paxman, mm. which showed some of the films. Um, and then there was this demand for it to be released. And I guess as a new, Government coming in that wanted to show its strength, they uh, they published the booklet and only with only minor changes. Um, uh, should add because um, they didn't just go straight ahead and publish mm. it. There were actually a few little changes to it here and there, but it kind of backfired on them. Um, so I think what they intended it to be was a show of strength, and uh, you know we are we have made preparations for nuclear attack. Um, but when people saw what those preparations were, it kind of fell apart.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And what what did they publish prior? Did they give anything to the public prior to then? Because there was a civil defence organisation, wasn't there, in the 50s?
1: There was. Um, there was the Civil Defence Corps from the, in, well, a few years after the Second World War all the way up to 1968. Um, and there was, of course, also the Royal Observer Corps, who I know you've, you've interviewed a few mm-hmm. people about that for, um, that started up, well, I think it had been the Observer Corps, during the war, became the Royal Observer Corps, and then carried on all the way up until the mid-1990s. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were these civil defence organisations. In terms of publishing things, um, there had been precursors to protect and survive. There was one as early as uh, 1949, 1950, around then, called um, Civil Defence and the Atom Bomb, uh, which was a very simple sort of four-page document Um making some interesting, by today's standards, assertions about nuclear weapons, um, sort of, don't worry, everyone will survive, it doesn't have any lasting effects, that yeah. kind of thing, which um, obviously isn't the case. Yeah. And then once they had the uh, hydrogen bomb, um, the tone changed a bit, and they issued a booklet, the government issued a booklet called the hydrogen bomb, which explained this sort of massively destructive new weapon, and... Um, uh, some of the scene like, it has drawings throughout, as all these booklets do, and it's just scenes of devastation. So I think by that point, they recognized a lot of people wouldn't survive. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, there was one more, which was uh, called Advising the Householder on Protection Against Nuclear Attack, um, which is the one that you see in the war game, uh, the, the famous 1960s uh, banned documentary style. Film.
0: Yeah, I had to go to my local CND group to watch that because right. the BBC didn't didn't show <laughs> it, and all the, all the local CND groups were screening mm. that that film.
1: Yes, and I believe it won an Academy Award as well. Was, yeah. So um, yes, there was there were precursors to Protect and Survive, um, but there had been this period between uh, advising the householder and Protect and Survive where you had 1970s detente; nothing was being released. Um, so there wasn't anything in that period. So I think when Protect and Survive came out, it was a big deal. And um, actually, Protect and Survive wasn't just written in 1980 and published in 1980. It was it had been written in uh, sort of 1974, 75, when it was prepared. Um, a small number of the booklets were printed up in 1975 and distributed out to um, so chief executives and uh, chief constables of the police and the fire service um but there were only two thousand copies of that done and no more um and that was because they'd run out of money so there was a, a whole if you go into the archives and look at the stuff about protect and survive it's just this constant oh um, we're running out of money i think at one point it says we're sailing very close to the wind with the budget right. um so there wasn't people might assume that there were only 2000 copies printed up because they wanted to keep it under wraps but it was actually just because they didn't have any more cash right
0: and did that does that edition vary much from the one that HMSO put on sale
1: um not much um a little bit it obviously excludes the introduction which went out in the the 1980 version which sort of says if should nuclear war happen mm-hmm. then read this um it just says it's about to happen here's what you need to do um, there I mean we could have a look at a couple of them
0: yeah let's do to. that Taras has kindly got his collection out here for me to uh, rifle through so uh, I'm just gonna do, oh, very organized as well
1: <laughs> so <clears throat> here are all things that I mentioned didn't yeah you? So, um, you can see the progression from civil defence and the atom bomb, just just this very yes. thin pamphlet. And there will be some photos in the show notes, but if you really want to
0: look at these, I recommend you buy Terrace's book. <laughs> um, the hydrogen bomb,
1: which is a sort of thicker book. Yeah. And then you've got advising the householder, which is oh, okay. goes back to being quite thin. So the difference between um, the hydrogen bomb is quite detailed and it goes into some of the science as well. Um, And then uh, advising the householders, starting towards that Protect and Survive style, Um, uh, here's what you should do, hide under the stairs, brick up your windows. Wow. Yeah,
0: don't forget your Vaseline.
1: (laughs) There was actually a controversy with the advising the householder one because it advises you to have um oh it's just the baking soda? the baking powder so it says soda bicarbonate in your first aid kit and then in brackets it has baking powder which as any cook will know is not the same thing yeah um as as baking soda um so baking powder contains an acid um and it advises you to have it there so that you can uh rinse your eyes with it which would not be a good idea no so there was a bit of controversy with that a doctor wrote to the home office and complained that yeah uh, you really wouldn't want to be putting acid into your eyes, especially after a nuclear attack. No, no. <laughs> it's just or any time. <laughs> add salt to the wound or add uh, acid to the wound. Yeah. Um, so here we have Protect and Survive. And I'll show you the 1976 version. Looks very similar outwardly. Yeah. Uh, but there are some subtle changes.
0: So there's, right, there's so it's, not like a four-word. Four that's right, yeah. Yeah. And it's straight into the um, the index. Yeah. Okay.
1: Um, but largely it's it's identical. I think the, the more interesting uh, changes came between the draft versions of Protect and Survive, which you can see at the National Archives, uh, and the final version, um, for example, and you can see this in the book, um, they've got in the draft version, um, the persons protecting themselves by hiding under a table that's covered with pillows, mm. which seems like an odd choice. And then they revised it into the in the published version. They've got sort of boxes of books and suitcases right. and stuff. Yeah. So it offers a little bit more protection. Yeah. Um, ultimately, I mean, some of the stuff in it is straight out of the Second World War because hiding under a table is basically a Morrison shell. Yeah. Um, and the <clears throat> some of the other booklets that came out at the same time as Protect and Survive, um, such as Domestic Nuclear Shelters. Uh, so
0: this is if you had a bit more cash.
1: Yeah. Uh, this was the book that would, uh, booklet that would tell you about how to build your own nuclear shelter in your back garden. But it is all very Second World War, ultimately. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah, it's more against blast than, well... it will give you some protection against radiation, but not a huge amount.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, I did have a copy of that one as Mm. well. I'm not sure where that, where that, where that ended up. One of the things I loved in the book was, and I hadn't realized this, was the, the animation for the protect and survive, um, TV adverts, for lack of a better word, um, was done by the same company that did Crystal Tips and Alistair, which I remember watching as a <laughs> as a child. Yes,
1: and uh, Charlie Says series of public information right as well. Yeah, and that cat going. Row, row, row. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. No, really, really people. interesting, um, interesting nugget there. Um, and I don't want to stay completely on of bark survive, survive, but um, the peace movement obviously found this as great propaganda for their Mm. um for their message and um uh ep thompson who i think he was one of the founders of end european nuclear disarmament published a book called protest and survive which was a obviously a clever a clever play on words and then we've got another variation in the book here which is called ben's bunker book and it this booklet tells you what it's like to spend two weeks in a government-specified shelter in Limehouse. There's also um, examples in here of some of the earlier ones that we were talking about. So, Home Defence and the Farmer mm. is uh, is a good one. Is part of it is showing the uh, the effects of fallout and uh, what the farmer. Should do.
1: Yeah. Home Defence and the Farmer was a, a sort of mini campaign of its own in the 1950s. Um, they released a film that accompanied it as well. Mm-hmm. I think the booklet was quite widely distributed. Interestingly, given that farmers would be quite affected by nuclear war and agriculture would be quite an important you know, aspect of life after a nuclear attack, um, they didn't publish anything else for farmers until the mid-1980s. Um, so you have this booklet from the 1950s. It's probably horribly out of date. And that's the only information that was given to, to the farming community. Right. Hi, this is Rhonda in Virginia. And I support Cold War conversations because I think the work that
0: Ian is doing is critically important. I think it's vital to record the firsthand accounts of people who lived and experienced the Cold War that you're helping to preserve Cold War history, just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate to find out more. It's interesting how the sort of some of the messages change. I mean, the, the, the well, the fifties was the time of the hydrogen bomb, so it was it was going to be large scale or even larger scale devastation than an atom bomb uh, strike on, on the UK. Um, And as you say, crucial part of the – because the the post-attack population have still got to get fed somehow. Those cans of baked beans are going to run out at some point. One one of the images that really struck me was the one where they – it shows a view. This is obviously from some – is this from a government pamphlet, this one?
1: Um, So these are uh, posters that were produced for training people involved in civil defence – uh, and then me, there's a one there's second a, sorry i'll just bring them through and you can have No, a look.
0: that's okay
1: these are from um estimated damage from nuclear attack which is uh, a home office civil defense training poster series
0: and, and we'll just, is this another ebay purchase
1: uh these actually came from someone well it it was initially an ebay purchase from this bloke and then he kind yeah. of said uh uh, if you're interested in this, I've got yeah. sheds out the back of it because uh, oh, wow. anything you're after <laughs> said so yes, please. It's a bit please. like
0: Howard Carter and Tutankhamun's tomb, <laughs> was it?
1: Yeah, so um, <clears> throat> throat> so these are quite large posters, yeah. beautifully illustrated, uh, and there's two of each, uh, one showing the before scene of a, a nice 1950s street scene and then the, the after scene, yeah. the aftermath. Yeah. Um, so if I find the corresponding one to that one. Wow,
0: well, these are incredibly illustrated with a fiery sky in the background and debris all over the street, roofless buildings. And this is described as seven to ten miles from the ground burst of a 10 megaton bomb. I guess, Sorry. you know, if, if you're being trained for civil defence, there's never going to be a cheerful, I mean, there, there's, I mean, you've got to be given some hope in the end that people are going to survive. But yeah. you, you look at these posters and you're, you're not going to be.
1: So that
0: one's got. Oh, this is a, a view, typical view of the centre of a city with sort of like a Georgian terrace and then a uh, block of flats this looks very 50s mm.
1: and there's a nice old old couple of old women walking down the yeah. street there it's all very quiet yeah and then that's the and then this the is, is it
0: this is uh damage from three to four miles from a ground burst of a 10 megaton bomb and basically it's a pile of rubble um aside from the block of flats which looks like it was steel reinforced but it's been mostly gutted with the walls and and uh windows hanging out uh, and presumably the old ladies are under that part of rubble yeah. there wow <laughs> bits of
1: them wow um and apparently the later issues of these posters they had stickers to cover up the um the the power of the nuclear weapons with the updated figures for the more powerful weapons that were well, coming right through. right because obviously this uh the soviet uh weapons were being developed at yeah, the yeah. time so
0: yeah um well, the uh, what was it? The
1: legendary Tsar Bomba. That's right. Yeah, I don't think there would have been anything to show in the pictures. Um, no, to that.
0: No, no, absolutely not. Um, and the the civil defence training. I know that the civil defence corps was dissolved at some point, wasn't yeah, it? When was that? 1968.
1: Yeah.
0: And then, what was expected to happen after 1968, as far as those preparations were concerned?
1: Um, well, you had the Royal Observer Corps still in place. Yeah. Um, but their role wasn't one of um, going out into the community and rescuing people and that kind mm-hmm. of thing, which the Civil Defence Corps would have done. Um, they were primarily monitoring and reporting what was going on in terms of nuclear weapons, and their power, and the the, uh, dest- like the location of them. Um, other than that, um, you had the local authorities uh, taking some responsibility um, where they weren't left-wing. So the left-wing ones um, saw the futility of uh, trying to help people after nuclear weapons had been dropped and so um, tended to focus their efforts on campaigning against it. So you had the emergence of the nuclear-free local mm-hmm. authorities. So you had the the, um, nuclear-free local authorities. You also had local authorities that were turning against the Home Office um, and what they were being told to do. So in 1983, regulations came in um, that forced local authorities to take on the responsibilities of uh, looking after people after a nuclear attack. Right. And they continued to to, um, go against that stuff. So let me grab another folder. (laughs) you might have seen some of these things. But I have a folder of things from local councils, um, which is a mixture of booklets, most of them A5 in size, Um, some of them from um, more right-wing councils, which are actually um, sort of copies of protect and survive, uh, but sort of homemade. So the ones.
0: local councils were bu- were producing their own. That's right. Yeah. Um, versions of protect and survive. That um, what what was the difference that they were trying to put in? Was it specific local information that was in there?
1: Um, generally, the only local information you find in these things is. Uh, a map showing the, the destruction, sort of circles of destruction yeah. of the local area. Um, if we go back to these ones, mm. um, this is from West Sussex. And the only real difference is that it's not as easy to read as Protect and Survive. Um, it's all very similar information. But sometimes yeah. it's cobbled together from Protect and Survive, from Advising the Householder, um, and probably other sources yeah. as well. And it's all sort of hand-drawn and... Yeah, the
0: the graphics um, leave, well, uh, certainly aren't as sophisticated as Protect and Survive. Did these local authorities think they weren't going to get copies of Protect and Survive, or were they just not aware of it and thought that they had to produce something?
1: I think they were aware of it because some of the materials in these are actually copied out of it. Um, I think the fact that they'd been told uh, you get one copy for your local authority and there are no more forthcoming... Right. Meant that they thought, well, we're going to have to make our own version. Yeah. So that was the the, the right leaning uh, local authorities, and then you've got on the other on the other hand, the left leaning ones who <coughs> produced.
0: Well, I, I saw the Manchester one, yeah. which um, I think that's available online as well.
1: Yes, I think so. That
0: yeah. that one, which I which I did find um, particularly interesting, where there's you know there's no. Um, Punches pulled yeah. in in um, these ones. So I'm just looking at the Manchester one, and basically the Greater Manchester area is, um, basic, has got four big circles around it where, um, you know, a thermonuclear weapon could have have landed. I mean, a city like Manchester would probably be targeted by multiple mm-hmm. in in the event of war, so that perhaps to some degree they've underplayed the. Yeah. Uh, uh the impact here but then they you know that there's a an image here from uh when the wind blows as well illustrating that when the wind blows is a cartoon uh story produced by raymond briggs which graphically shows a pair of pensioners who um are told to follow government advice in the event of a nuclear war and um Let's say it doesn't end well, <laughs> no. um, but is is an interesting uh, publication in itself. In fact, there's quite a large number of illustrations from that book used in in this in this booklet.
1: That one's an interesting case, actually, the Manchester booklet, because um, they issued another booklet earlier. Check if I can dig it out,
0: this is such an amazing collection <laughs> that Harris has got here.
1: So yeah. Um, so, uh, Greater Manchester Council originally issued this other one called Community Self Help Survival Guide, um, which is much more uh, along the protect and Survival lines of. Um, right. Here's some things you can do. Here's what how you need to prepare. Um, which is what the what central government was instructing. In fact, them that
0: to imagery do. is the same as the Sussex one, isn't it?
1: Yes. Yeah. It's exactly the same. It's
0: almost an exact exact copy of that.
1: So. Greater Manchester Council put that one out. Um, and then a couple of years later, you get the more famous one, which is much more pessimistic. Yeah. Um, and they say in the introduction in the, in the second version um, that we issued this previous book, um, but that doesn't represent what our actual opinions on yeah. this matter. So we've decided to let you know. Yeah. Um,
0: no, these are really interesting, these regional variations. And there's some great images in terrace's uh, book, of these these different guides, one of, probably one of my favourite publications that you cover in the book is um, Protect and Survive Monthly, mm. which, from what I understand, was a a short lived or relatively short lived monthly publication that was uh, who was it produced by
1: uh, a chap called C. Bruce Sibley, um, who also published uh, a book called uh, Surviving Doomsday, which is richly illustrated. Um, and he ran uh, Protect and Survive Monthly, I think, for nearly two years, so had a, a decent run. Um, subsequently, he ran a, a very similar magazine called the Journal of Practical Civil Defence for a couple of years as well. But I think the whole time they were uh, beset by budget issues and uh, that yeah. very few people were buying it. It was quite a, a niche thing.
0: I, I would imagine so. I mean, there's one cover here, which is May 1982. And for those who uh, have a knowledge of British history, this was the Falklands War. And uh, one of the articles is Argentina and the Bomb, exclusive. And Will Your Pet Survive a Nuclear War? Yeah, um, yeah, and right then right. you've got various other covers here, which are um, uh, 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 an interesting one. I, this this one I quite like is the is a picture of a Soviet submarine which ran aground in Swedish waters, and uh, the headline or the the title on it is "Today Sweden, Tomorrow Portsmouth."
1: Yeah, it's a little bit alarmist some of the yeah <laughs> the stuff yeah. in it, and you see adverts throughout these magazines for the private bunker building companies, uh, many of whom I think were could be fairly described as chancers. Um, they were companies that were construction companies, boat building companies that kind of thing that yeah. had sort of uh pivoted to building private nuclear yeah. bunkers just to cash in.
0: But the the other one here was the was this um Project Eastley's one which attracted my attention, which uh when you're talking of Charlatans this this sounds like a classic. Can you just describe this this one?
1: Yeah, so uh Project Eastley's they uh, claimed that they were going to build this massive underground, uh, uh, community and you could pay to reserve your place. Um, and I believe what happened was they, they took a lot of money from punters and then disappeared. Um, and think uh, questions were raised in parliament about it. Um, but the advertising for it has a sort of glamorous woman standing in this huge cavernous bunker, um, and, They claimed it was going to be almost like having a flat uh, that was underground that was fully serviced, but I don't think they got much further than creating the promotional materials for it. Helicopter
0: pads, security compounds, car parks. (laughs) Yeah, it was bonkers. Fantastic, fantastic. And then as as we sort of talked about, you've got some of the um, civil defence recruiting pamphlets, um, which are often... Photos of people looking almost wistfully into the distance with a, uh, I don't know, a stern look on their face. Yeah. Sort of resolve. (laughs) Resolve. That was, that was the description I was, I was, I was looking for.
1: You certainly see a lot of that in the 1950s and 60s. Um, It's almost inherited from the second world war, Um, sort of blitz spirit and Britain will, uh, prevail and that kind of thing. Yeah, but it dissipates a little bit in the seventies and eighties. Yeah.
0: So, so some of these documents here appear to be. Are they? Are some of these from exercises as well? Have you got yes. some? Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I've got lots of um, uh, civil defence exercise documents and um, hierarchies showing who's going to be in charge should the worst happen. That kind of thing. I mean, there's vast quantities of all this stuff out there.
0: I wonder where you got the idea from your cover from.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so the the cover is actually uh, taken from a Royal Observer Corps um, recruitment brochure. Yeah. Um, and one of the ROC posts um, said that someone who now volunteers for them on open days is actually on the cover. He's actually in the photo? But, oh, Broadway Tower, yeah.
0: Oh, okay. Now, this one here, I, I have a copy of, the UK Monitoring and Warning Organization, publication and it is quite a a chilling one because it basically goes through the minutes of the four minute warning
1: yeah yeah that one's from the 1970s and that's when it really started being more um pessimistic in tone um so you you lose these brave looking people staring off into the bright future and instead you have people answering the (laughs) the telephone and uh picking up the four minute warning and, and passing it on setting off the sirens and that kind of thing. And I think the back page of that document actually says something like uh, many thousands of people may have been saved or something like that with the sunset over a sunset over a burnt out barn. Yeah. So it's yeah. Yeah, not quite as optimistic in tone.
0: There's a very worried looking police sergeant who's obviously received the call and he's just activating the sirens <laughs> yep. and his colleagues sort of glancing over um, equally concerned as as you would be and then there's a photo of a inside of a, a monitoring post where they're all staring at the uh, the blast indicator by the looks of it as well mm. equally looking concerned as you would be if you were in one of these um but not only have you have you got civilian documents here one of the ones is a uh, uh, british army document on nuclear biological chemical survival.
1: So I guess a lot of people don't realise that the the army, I mean, it's obvious when you think about it, the army had to make preparations as well for nuclear attack. Um, There were uh, documents prepared, guides, manuals for the army um, that explained all about home defence, which is what they termed the the defence of the UK. Um, And... You had a there's a version of protect and survive which was designed for the army, which was based on the the, the public version. So um, yeah, there are all kinds of things like that. And something that comes up a lot in these things is defensive key points. So the the army would have been sent out to um, you know power stations and probably to defend the uh, RSGs, the regional seats of government. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, lots of things about. Uh, stopping people breaking in and that kind of thing. I mean, here's a, a thing. <laughs> this is notes on the Fantasian army. So this is an army training document. And um, the Fantasian army stood in for the Soviet army. So they don't use the word Soviet. anywhere I but... find
0: that crazy because you've got these things. Well, I guess it's all about politics yeah. because even with the exercises in Germany, you've got the orange and the blue forces yes. and things like that. They never...
1: <laughs> guess which one's which. <laughs>
0: yeah, never mention them by uh, by name. Yeah, so you have this... And, and this is great because it says the Fantasian Army is organised and equipped on the model of the Soviet ground forces. <laughs> there are wide-scale standardisation agreements between the countries and a large number of Soviet... I mean... Yeah. Why Why bother? Why
1: bother? Um, So this is another army thing. This is a a fake newspaper produced by the army uh, to distribute to to soldiers that were on a a training exercise against the Fantasian army.
0: Prime Minister, our gravest hour. Large crowds gather today in front of Downing Street, where the Special War Cabinet met to discuss the tense war situation that exists in our once peaceful Peninsula of Anglian. So again, they're playing with these, um, and talks about declaring war on Fantasia. (laughs) Exercise surprise packet is an essential part of our training and makes us fit for war. Mm -hmm. When was this? 1951. Yeah. It's got that sort of 51 language in it. These are fantastic stuff. So there's that oh, stuff. Like oh, and there's some advice for farmers as well.
1: Yeah, they they use this little newspaper to to get some information in there yeah. about don't go into farmers' fields and that yeah. kind of
0: thing. So don't smoke in barns or near hay ricks. Yes. <laughs>
1: it's actually quite an effective way of getting that information across to yeah. sort of ordinary soldiers.
0: It all depends on you. The do's and don'ts for all ranks engaged in the exercise. Well, let
1: me grab some other things. <laughs> Oh, so, um, this is the one that you were looking at in the book.
0: Wow, this is a, a more hefty document than I, than I expected.
1: Yeah, the, the problem with the book is that you can only really include one or two pages from each document. Um, these documents run to many pages and it's all absolutely fascinating. God, I could spend hours,
0: hours reading reading this. So, the... Um, the country there's a map of the uk split up into uh zones are these these are the rsg zones
1: uh, i think those are the home defense right. zones so
0: because it's got preston which will be the forward barracks for uh lancashire
1: yeah
0: <laughs> action to be taken on receipt of the red warning page 20 let's have a look at that you've got plenty here for another book terrace
1: Yeah, probably quite a few books. (laughs) Yeah,
0: exactly. The Red Warning. The UK WMO will initiate a red warning to the UK of the threat of air attack by either aircraft or missiles. In the early stages of conflict, conventional bombing may only occur. And then the white warning is basically the the nuclear attacks coming in because it talks about minimum number of personnel allowed out of their shelter. And then black is the fallout warning. And then, this is what I love about the all-clear. I'm receiving the all-clear signal. Troops may return to duty.
1: (laughs) Yeah, resume normal activities. Yeah,
0: resume normal activities. Fantastic. Wow. And was I mean? Obviously, we're, we're one of the things we're focusing on here is nuclear attack, and the mm. Soviets had a chemical uh, capability. Was there any fear of a chemical and not a nuclear attack, as far as civilians
1: were concerned, or any thought of um, what,
0: what that might be?
1: I mean, most most of the official stuff that I've seen is pretty much entirely focused on nuclear attack. Um, Protects and Survive Monthly, the the magazine, uh, and its successor, the, the Journal of Pr- Practical Civil Defence, they do go into um, the full NBC range, so nuclear, biological, and chemical attack. Um, so, yeah, they were...
0: <laughs> so they obviously see that as another revenue opportunity. Oh, absolutely, early. yeah. And they need to fill the magazine with content, and yeah, they probably yeah. run out after... <laughs> Well, they obviously did run out of uh, content that would interest people after two years.
1: Yes, yeah, so well, I think they ran out of cash first.
0: <laughs> oh, right. Uh, so, yeah, it talks about nerve agents and also biological attack as well. Yeah. Does it talk about, like, Soviet special forces or anything like that? And uh, uh,
1: I haven't oh, really come across much stuff in the, in the home defense Things. Um, there's a bit usually about espionage in these documents. Right. Um, there were the booklets that the government produced uh, called Their Trade is Treachery, and Treachery is Still Their Trade, which was the, the follow up, um, which explained all about the espionage aspect. Yeah. Um, uh, how not to fall prey to, to Soviet agents, and what to look out for, and how they were caught, and that kind of thing. So. Um, Certainly the government was um, aware of the possibility of Soviet forces of different kinds being present in the country and yeah. being disruptive. But um, I guess after a nuclear attack, you'd be less worried about um, about Soviet people here, yeah. more worried about <laughs> cleaning up. And
0: what about um, civil unrest? Do you find much comments around?
1: No. Um Actually, not a lot. Um, a lot of the time it's just left as an open question. Um, you will often get an, uh, a section on law and order. Um, in fact, <coughs> here is um, Wiltshire County Council's War Emergency Guidebook. Wow, uh, just to jump about a bit. but <laughs> um, these
0: are amazing. So what Terrace has handed to me here is a proper folder. Uh, it's like a burgundy colour with war emergency guidebook on the top and Wiltshire County Council. Where, can you tell me where how you got your hands on this one?
1: Uh, again, this was the chap who has uh, heaps of this stuff secreted away. Um, so he said, would you be interested in uh, war books? And I said, yes, absolutely, because they're really quite difficult to get your hands on.
0: This is incredible because it's got... Basically, a directory of people you'd call mm-hmm. um, in the event of war, with all their home phone numbers and their names. You know, Mr. W. P. Carpenter, <laughs> Lieutenant Colonel Boardley, yeah. M. C. <laughs> just the sort of man you want in a crisis. Absolutely.
1: Uh, so the, then- these were the, the guidebooks for for local authorities in. Internally, to what to do if the worst should happen.
0: Okay, so there's this one on nuclear weapons here, which is uh, a Home Office book, yeah. which basically details the power of a nuclear weapons in terms of blast, shock wave, um, yeah, it, effect on vehicles, different hazards presented by fallout. So it's really all the stuff you probably wouldn't want to tell the local population
1: yeah. as to what what the reality is. And a little booklet on how atoms work. Yes, I think somebody's just collected all this information that might be useful in the anti-nuclear attack
0: yeah it's one folder. We reach for the Burgundy book That's when <laughs> war is declared. And then the foreword, and this is uh, from group Captain Willen. War is not yes yet an impossibility. Weapons of mass destruction exist and the technology of war is developing fast. I hope the day will come when man can be free of the threat of war. But that day is not yet. If it comes, it may come with little warning, and it is folly to be unprepared. This is great stuff. Unfortunately, there's, there's no date on that, but that sort of smacks of the
1: 1950s. Well, uh, this is actually from the mid 1970s. Really? Yep.
0: Wow. Wow. But um, that group captain who wrote that is obviously still <laughs> living in the 1940s yes. or
1: 50s. Um, so this is the kind of book that would have a section on law and order oh yes um, uh, but uh, as i say they they left it quite open ended so it was sort of oh, um, disappointing yes <laughs> i always get excited when i see the section heading and then i read it and it's and um, it's really it's, uh, it's always uh we will so decide what to do when it happens sort of cross that bridge when it comes when right. we come to it
0: is it under this one advice to the public or? Um, let's
1: see i think it's in the pink
0: section Yeah, it did say pink. That would have been far too obvious. Law and order. Types of crime. In the very unsettled circumstances, probably immediately pre and post-strike, there may be congestion on the roads. Shortages of all sorts and general frustration. Some people may resort to violence to get
1: what they want. So the general advice that these kind of books give you is form a, a sort of local vigilante group. Give people special powers, yeah, um, and then we'll see see where it takes you. Sort of thing. I like
0: I like item four. Infringements infringements of regulations like speeding or having no television license do not threaten survival potential <laughs> and are not important at this time. I know it's easy to laugh. It, it's easy to laugh at these documents, but these were seriously put together. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Residents of a locality could organise themselves, local peacekeeping forces, to prevent incidents from developing restrained violence and control needy strangers entering the locality.
1: So in in the event of a nuclear attack, the view, at least of the right wing local authorities, was that they would become a source of fiefdom, uh, revert to um, being controlled by the the council uh, without any external influence. Um, and these things are very, written very much from that point of view. That yeah. They've become very insular and people from outside the region should be kept at bay and that sort of thing.
0: Yeah. Did you ever see that program called Survivors that was made in the 1970s? No. It was around a pandemic um, where a lot of the population get killed and there's just a few survivors and it, it is almost post-nuclear. Po- it, well, it is like a post-apocalyptic mm. view of of the UK. It's on. It's on YouTube. Oh. It, it's it's worth a look actually because there's definite, you know, echoes of, um, you know, a post-nuclear mm. um, landscape. Now, one one of the organisations that Taris mentioned to me before we um, started recording was of. An organization I'd never heard of called the Legion of Frontiersmen of the Commonwealth, mm. which Taris um, has got a little document here, but can you just tell me about the, these people? It, it sounded like an American organization.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, of the Commonwealth, of course, it has to be the British Commonwealth. And um, they, I believe, I mean, I managed to find very little information about them. Uh, i think they started in the interwar years um and carried on into the cold war um where they became almost a, a an unofficial volunteer civil defense organization um and they prepared these documents that i came across which tell you tell them uh, what to do uh in the event of a nuclear attack and documents about uh radiation monitoring and that kind of thing um and i think they they saw themselves as a um, an organisation that would be able to help out um, should the worst happen, um, but there seems to be very little information about them.
0: And well, I mean, because it does, and we, we sort of did mention this when, when we spoke earlier. They they sound a little bit like Freemasons or or that sort of. Mm um group of people but you found no evidence well with the little documentation you found no evidence of a direct connection
1: with no i don't think so but i think they're probably similar in that they um are a little bit secretive and that it's uh, primarily a primarily an organization you join for the social connection as much as the the, the sort of volunteerism uh, helping out aspect
0: yeah yeah i mean it, when you see some of these these documents and these like groups getting together it does you you sort of have in your mind this dad's army some sort of captain mannering image or some you know local ex-military person like that lieutenant colonel i found in that you know in in that other book organizing these um these groups
1: yeah it does have a sense of that about it that it would have been uh ex-military people and people who wanted to be in the military Um, so yeah I don't have a lot more information about them unfortunately
0: well we're going to put a call out there Uh, if anybody has got any further knowledge of the Legion of Frontiersmen of the Commonwealth Taras would be delighted to know as would I (laughs) so uh, do get in contact if you have any extra information um, on that because we, we like a we like a bit of a mystery on Cold War conversations. Um, have you have you got any other military documentation? That...
1: Um, yeah, I've got this uh, operational and tactical notes for home defence. So this is from, I think, the early 1980s. Um,
0: 1984.
1: Yeah. So just post Able Archer. And this is all about home defence, about how the... The army would be drafted into. Yeah, transition
0: to war, measures, emergency powers, requisition, arming of sentries. Wow. And this is actually, this is a really interesting one here. So this is rules of engagement for servicemen authorised to carry arms and ammunition on duty in the UK. So this is how they would be authorised to open fire. So challenge must be given before opening fire unless to do so would increase the risk of death or grave injury to you or other person, or you or others in the vicinity are under armed attack. You are to challenge by shouting army, stop or I fire or words to that effect. You may only open fire against a person if he or she is committing or is about to commit an act likely to endanger life, e.g. firing or being about to fire a weapon, planting, detonating or throwing an explosive device, including a petrol bomb, deliberately driving a vehicle at a person where there is no other way of stopping him or her. Wow. If you have to open fire, you should fire only aimed shots and no more rounds than is necessary. And take all reasonable precautions not to injure anyone other than your target. That's quite chilling, that isn't it? When you when you read because I've heard of the uh, is it called the blue card R- a rules of engagement card I think um, that's carried by military personnel. If but when you read it like that, in fact, there's various copies of that in here. Uh, and then we, there's talk about guarding of key points, which we were talking about. Oh and in fact <laughs> after I mentioned that it was a green card and Taras actually has some examples here and the oh, God, this is oh this is amazing so this is um, you are to challenge by shouting in English and then in German so this is obviously British Army the Rhine, yes, that's right yeah. uh, which is British Army halt or I shoot. Uh, or British Army halt oder ischisa. Hopefully, my German like. <laughs> listeners will uh, accept that pronunciation. Mm. Wow! Yeah, so, so, I mean, for the, the these are interesting because in in Germany, in West Germany, you would have had the Red Army faction who were trying to attack. NATO bases or NATO personnel, as well as the IRA who did kill British service people. And I think some family members as well. Mm. Um, So these are, and this is June, 1990. Wow. That is fascinating. I've never seen, I've never seen one of those for real. So uh, that's been worth a visit. (laughs) If, if not just having a delve through, Great. Well, the book is called Nuclear War in the UK by Taris Young. We are going to do a book giveaway, so uh, I will be giving out details of that. Uh, but if you are unlucky to not win the book in the book giveaway, I highly recommend it if you've got any interest in the British experience of the Cold War there's some fascinating documents in here and certainly ones that i'd never seen and um there's a good narrative throughout as well it's it's not just pictures of protect and survive Mm -hmm. there's a really interesting narrative and i i recommend it so available and bargain at 10 pounds because it's a if you can hear that it's a good quality hardback there If you like what you're hearing, sign up to our email list at coldwarconversations.com. And we have further photos, videos and information on this episode and details of our book giveaway in our show notes, which will show as a link in your podcast app. Don't forget, if you'd like to get one of those Cold War Conversations coasters help keep us on the air then head over to coldwarconversations.com slash donate. And if you can't wait for the next episode, do visit our Facebook discussion group where listeners just like you continue the Cold War conversation. Just search for Cold War Conversations in Facebook. Thank you very much for listening. It is really appreciated. Goodbye.